Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Putnam. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. We're recording this on a Sunday night, Marjorie, and I can hear thudding. And I just heard Jay yell, let go of him to another child, which I'm assuming (laughs) was Franklin and Heathcliff wrestling. And then I heard a door slam. And so like one never knows. I don't know. If I'm in the minority here, but if you're new to the podcast, I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-and-a-half-year-old, and Sunday night is when the bleep hits the fan. Yeah. It is like, like I'm considering, I we've talked about this before, about having a babysitter on Sunday nights so that we can just like go to dinner, set up for the week, have a nice time, and then come home and have them in bed because it's a living nightmare at my house. I actually think that's a great idea. That I, I kind of think so too. I think I think just to shake it up, even if you just did it three weeks. Or, yeah. Just just to show the kids like we don't have to be here. <laughs> like, like we can leave this situation. I know. So don't tempt us. No, I mean I think actually I think that's a great I think you should do that. 100%. I think so too. We had 100%. Thursday night set up with a babysitter that we're gonna plan on doing from that Jay actually found this great babysitter who can do Thursday nights and set it up. But then she did mention to me that she was available Sunday nights too. Yeah. And I'm kind of thinking I want to switch from Thursdays to Sundays. And yeah, because this no, no, is no. just like, you know, Sunday nights. And I always had great sympathy for, for my kids on Sunday nights. Sunday nights were always difficult in my memory as they were sort of in middle school and difficult not in any sort of screaming sort of way, but just a little bit of Sunday blues. Yeah. Where everybody yeah. was so sad that the weekend I know. was over. It's the and Sunday so, scaries. Yeah. And is that what is that what you call them? That's what they app? call it. The Sunday scaries. That's like well, a pop culture term. We called it the Sunday blues. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it from their little perspective, they've been home, they've been safe, they've been having fun. Right. It's it's cozy. And then Monday for everybody means back out into the world. I know. And that's a lot. It's a lot. But I say I know, escape but it's it, more get a, a lot for me. Like <laughs> it's a lot for me. They're fine. They're they are fine. I am the one who's struggling with this. <laughs> okay, so here's what we do. Sunday night babysitter. Yeah. Spa night. So not only do you get a babysitter, you yeah. go get like a massage, maybe a couple's massage. I mean it's you gotta just be make something. It glorious. Yeah. I know. But I, I think the babysitter actually is a great idea because this is the thing. If it's stressing everybody out and it's a pattern, yeah, just break the pattern. Just it's a pattern it. of like not fun and it starts to get edgy and they get edgy and then they don't listen. And then it's like Jay gets pushed to the brink much faster than I do about the not listening. But I do too. I mean, yeah, Bernie just said we were sitting at dinner and they were eating like farm animals. I mean, 
they were shoveling pasta and like everything was everywhere. And Jay was like, you guys, like you got to eat <laughs> with your fork. You got like, you can't shovel the food in your mouth. Like you're on a farm. And then Bernie goes, dad burned us. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Dad burned us. I was like, dad has never burned you. She was like, no, like burn, like an insult. She thought that him saying that was him insulting them. And I was like, dad is not insulting you. Dad is trying to enforce some manners at this table. This, this is literally what just happened 20 minutes ago. You want to look inside my life? This is what it is. Oh, nuts. Anyway, Sunday night babysitter. It is. And it's just been a big week. So um, I leave for Ireland with a group of um, Twin Cities Live viewers on Tuesday, which I'm so excited to go to Ireland. I've never been to Ireland. Mm. We're doing all these amazing things. I was just like listing out the list of activities so that I can pack because I leave Tuesday afternoon. And so I need to pack Tuesday. That's how I, when I pack. Right. And then, (laughs) um, and then I was just gone this week because my grandmother passed away. Yes. And, um, she passed away at the age of 94. And it's interesting because as you talked so much on the podcast about your journey with your mom and she's a, she's a different age, you know, cause we're like a a hop of a generation, like you're in between me and then what my mom was experiencing. And so, and then you're also the youngest. My mom is the oldest. So all the ages get kind of interesting. So my mom is 67. Her mom was 94. My grandmother, much like your mother, very, very independent, Mm -hmm. had lived on her own up until six months prior to her passing. They had just moved her into Mm -hmm. an assisted living facility. She was moving a pot. She has, she had this cute townhouse and she had like an atrium but it was outside. So it wasn't really an atrium. It was like a courtyard kind of a deal, like, but within her townhouse in Fort Worth, Texas. And she was moving a pot and like slipped some sort of back thing. And then that was like the beginning of the end. She slipped something in her back or she fell down. No, she slipped something in her back. Oh, interesting. And then it was just like all this pain and trying to figure out what to do about the pain. And I think it really is. It's like at that age, if you start to lose your mobility, the decline starts to happen because she just wasn't able to move like she was. And so then all these things started happening. They realized that she needed to be not living on her own. I mean, she had stairs in her townhouse that she oh. was managing every single day. Yeah. So it was a cute two-level townhouse. It's amazing yeah. that she made it to 94. It's frankly. incredible. Yeah. And then she had just moved into this place. She fell. She broke her hip. And then like within an hour and a half of pneumonia set in. And she had a very clear directive directive, which is she did not want any sort of life-saving interventions, even to like the level of oxygen. There's like, I guess a couple different kinds of oxygen that they can put you on. And there was one that like really will revive you. And then another one that doesn't. So it was quickly clear that like, that's what needed to happen. So, but it was like very unexpected. You know, I mean, I saw her in November at my cousin's wedding and I remember thinking then, mainly because I just didn't have an answer to return to Texas. And it's just a lot to return to Texas. And I knew she wasn't going to come up here. But I remember thinking at that wedding, this is probably going to be the last time I see my grandma. So my grandma was one of 11. 
my grandfather was also one of 11. Oh my but God. One died really young, huge families. There are, they're everywhere. The cousins. I mean, my, my mom has so many cousins. Like she has cousins that are younger than me because her mom was one of the oldest. It's so interesting. So, and then my dad, so my, my grandfather, Jerry. Okay. So Jerry Audi was the um, pastor of a church in Fort Worth, Texas called St. Paul's Lutheran church. It's a beautiful church. Marjorie, you would love it. It's totally mid-century modern. Everything is like lovely, perfectly preserved to how it, it was. It's really lovely. And so he was the pastor of this church. He died at the age of 49. Okay. He died of colon cancer and it absolutely devastated this entire church community. It obviously devastated my mom's family. He was beloved beyond belief. People, I have run into people. Like I ran into this guy who was the son of my grandpa's best friend at the Four Seasons in Costa Rica. It's like, and he, we made a connection that he would have this connection to my family. He like got teary and he was like, there's no one that my dad has loved more than your grandfather. Like, I mean, it's, it was very interesting. So people really loved him. And she then, so then my parents got married in that church right after my grandfather died, like the year after my grandfather died. So I've only been in that church a few times, but when I've been there, it's just so fascinating because there's just such a huge meaning there. And then my grandmother's funeral was just there. And so my, I, I, you know, I didn't really want to do any sort of like speaking and eulogize, but I said, you know, if you need someone to read something, like I am pretty good at reading things aloud. (laughs) I I could do it. So I could do it. That being said, I said, and my uncle Jim was like, thank you so much. Yes. We want to have you read whatever. So I didn't even really think much of it. And I'm like, they're going to give me a Bible verse and it's going to be some sort of like, for God so loved the world. I mean, listen, I am familiar with quite a bit of the Bible. I am not feeling <laughs> nervous or intimidated by reading any of these verses. I'm thinking like, this is going to be just fine. I get there. My uncle Jim goes, he said, okay, so when you get there, like you're going to do, you'll go do the readings. I said, okay, well, who else is reading? And he said, you're the only one you're reading all three readings. Side note, all of these were read at my grandfather, Jerry's funeral as well. Okay. I get to the church and that is when my, I get my first look at which verses these are. I mean, Marjorie Punnett, it was the first one was Psalm either 27 or 47. I don't know. I think it was 47. It was very, I was like what is happening here? What am I reading? And it was like two pages of text that I had to read in front of all these people. And um, it was just so interesting because I thought like, oh, this is going to be no problem. And I thought as I'm reading it, I was like, can't they throw me a freaking bone with a like, you know, for God so love the world? Like that would be great. I'm fine with that. These are like the most challenging verses. You wanted copy approval. Why did I not get copy approval on this? This is a problem. Oh my! Did nobody else want to read? Is that what happened? I, I think it was just that I offered, and then they were just like, "My family is sort of like, you're the best person for the job. Just do there it. you go. You know, right. like, 
And then I'm the oldest grandchild and my grandmother and I shared a birthday and I was named after her. So there's okay. sort of like that right. connection. You're it. Like who's going to represent the families. Some of my cousins are kind of young. They're like in their twenties. And then, and then my sisters, I'm the oldest. So they just sort of default to like, oh, well, she'll do it. Yeah. There you go. How'd you do? But I will tell you, it was kind of surreal. And I said it, I mean, it was kind of surreal to stand there and read at this lectern that I could just feel the presence of so many people and what it had meant. And just interesting connections. The, um, the pastor of the church is a young guy, pastor Andy, who actually graduated from Concordia university, St. Paul, and then took this call to go to Fort worth. And he told the story about my grandmother being the one who he was like, I'm not going to probably take this. Like, I'm not going to go, I'll do this call, but I'm probably not going to go. I love Minnesota. I don't want to uproot anything. I don't want to move. And then it was my grandmother her input that had him make the change. And at the time she had, he had no idea that she was my dad's mother-in-law who was the president of the college that he went to. No idea that her husband, her late husband had started that church. I mean, he didn't have the context of what her name meant or who she was or anything like that. So it was all these sort of like these kind of like moments like that, that were so interesting. And then when I got back I, um, I got back and I literally flew in at a really early flight flew in. I'm looking at, um, preschools for Heathcliff for next year. So Saturday morning, I had to go tour this school and this little Montessori school that my neighbor recommended that is like less than a mile from my house. I mean, it's, I think it's nine blocks and it's inside a church And it's inside this Christ Lutheran church. And I was like, why have I never been past this? Like, how do I not know where this is? I've lived in this neighborhood for 10 years. I've never known where it is. So interesting. So I'm like, I'm going to go meet her. I've got to, you know, see if this school, it sounds like it could be a good option. So I get there and I open the door and this church smells exactly like St. Paul's Lutheran and turns out it was built at the exact same time and it's on the historic registry in St. Paul or in Minneapolis. And it is like, it was unbelievable. I went in there and I, and I was like, could I peek into the sanctuary? And she was like, yes. And she runs this little Montessori school that she rents space from the, from the church. And I went into the, the, the roof was different, but like everything else about it. I'm like, I can't believe this. I I almost got like teary. And I'm like, here I am standing in this place that feels just like the place that I was. It was just very strange. Oh, that's beautiful though, because it's all about all of the people before you. And then you're lining up Heathcliff. And then it's, there's so much of your family history wrapped in the Lutheran church, right? Yeah. You were Lutheran. Yes. For so better so or much, worse, my friend. Yeah. So much wrapped in there. I mean, I actually think the tradition of that and feeling sort of the, and I mean this in a good way, feeling the weight of that family history is a really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, 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 that's really, that's really wonderful. And just to know that your grandfather had a, you know, had a special place in this world yeah, and that your grandmother did too, is just, is just so lovely. It was really interesting. And so my grandmother had five children and I've, you know, I've alluded to this in 
the past that their relationship is comp was complicated with yeah. their mother. And there was, there were, that's not my story to tell, but I do know that just in addition to that complicated individual nature, there's also just a real generational difference. And so as I was actually talk talking with my great uncle and who I, I really didn't know well, but at right. all, I didn't, I mean, I, I don't even know where he lived. I don't know anything. I mean, I don't know how many kids he has. It's just like these people are, it's so just, there's just so many of them that yes. it's just like, there were only a few, like my grandma's sister, Mim lived in Chicago when we were growing up, still lives in Chicago. So my, we would go to visit her, like, and we stayed at her house. Right. So when I see Mim, I like uh, see her, but I still, I probably hadn't seen her in 25 years, Whoa, you know, I mean, 20 crazy. years at least. Yeah. It's so, because there's so many, it's like, if you come from a really big family and you don't, and I mean, they all live everywhere. They're like <laughs> coming in from California, coming in from Chicago, right? coming in from Tennessee. I mean, like, right. where do you live? The hills of Tennessee. I'm like, where are all of you? What, <laughs> I need what a are map. you doing? I need a map. It was, but he was telling us stories about my great grandmother. And I do, I think. I believe I was at, I know I was at her funeral. I remember being at my great grandfather's funeral and he was like a very, very intense, not well-liked German Lutheran minister. I mean, right. like. I do come from a long line of preachers. They're everywhere. Not great stories about that guy. And I think, you know, everybody can look back in their family and this is what you see. And then you yeah. also see, it's like, the hardships. So my great grandmother, Anna came to the United States at the age of nine and with her siblings. And it was like, they slept out in like the corn shack and their dad locked the door from the inside. Mm -hmm. and they were covered in snow and, and freezing and never nothing to, to eat. They thought they were coming to settle in South Dakota to this beautiful home. It was a shack that leaned, that blew in the wind, that was oh. freezing with, with nothing. I think looking back, and I've talked about this before, I think looking back at history is one of the most important things that we can do if we need to get to a place of gratitude. Because I just, my sisters and I were listening to this story that my great uncle Norb was telling about our great grandmother, Anna. And all of us are really in the thick of raising kids. Right. All of us have little kids. All of us have moments of feeling overwhelmed. All of us have moments of feeling like WTF, like I'm just pissed and exhausted. Right. And then you think like, yikesies, that was a lot worse than this. Well, I think too, we've talked about this, that there was the book um, that Oprah did with the neuroscientist. I yeah, what happened to name. you? I can't remember his name right now, but in reading it, and they were talking about childhood trauma, and it made me sort of rethink some of the ways that I felt about my father, who had who lost his mother when he was four. Yeah. And there were some, you know, there were some things that, that were very difficult for him. Very stern father. His father was a physician, expected a lot of my father. And when my father didn't want to be what his dad wanted him to be, which was a doctor, he was, his father was cruel to him. And so you start to, you start to look at sort of these stories. So you can look at these stories of your grandmother and maybe better understand some of the difficulties that she had in being a mother. Mm-hmm some of the difficulties in the relationships that she was building with her family right and have and come to 
a place of empathy and understanding. And this is probably going to be more your mother's journey than mm -hmm. yours. Um, because, you know, I don't know how much you didn't have, I don't know how much you had to do with your grandmother, but it doesn't seem like she was a, because she didn't live in the same city. Right. Maybe not as much of an influence as obviously it was for your mom. Right. And I think that'll be interesting for your mom. I hope that for your mom, it was healing. I think it was. I definitely felt, I felt this also this inter interesting sort of generational shift because she okay. was the last one of that generation, you know, I mean, she, uh, at least in our family. So, right. I mean, obviously we still have great, she still has, I think there's seven of them still alive of her family member of her siblings. So it's not like that generation, but when it comes to like our family, right? she was the last, you know, she was the great grandparent. And then now my mom and her siblings, everybody moves up a generation. You know, we we were like having that conversation and it was so interesting because I could like feel that shift happening. And I mean, I have really great adult relationships with my aunts and uncles, right? but it felt like different. Like as soon as the funeral happened, it was like, they really talked to us more like adults. It was just oh, that's fascinating. much more honesty and sharing. And, um, we ended up going over to my aunt's house after the funeral and having, you know, food and, um, and staying late and just kind of doing rounds of toasts and all these different things. And it was just so like, it was just a really interesting, beautiful thing to get to know them more as full people versus just like, you just look up to your right. aunts right, or your uncles and you sort of have this respect for them. And, but you're an adult now. Yeah. You're an and adult like now. a little bit of just that distance that comes with a different level of relationship. Right. And that part I found to be really interesting, which again, goes back to pastor Andy and hopefully I'm selling you on his line of this is for you because yeah. it really is. It is yeah. about then the family and about what does this mean for our family and where do we go from here and how do we look back at where we've been and learn more of those stories and um, and kind of have those deep within us and then see where do we want this family to go and what do we want our legacy to be? So when we're talking about the transfer of generations or the change in generations, I'm in finals right now, so I'm studying. And so one of the books we had to read this semester was The Marrow Thieves, which is a YA novel by an indigenous author. It's just a beautiful story about, and it's sort of a dystopian story, but it's about passing knowledge from one generation to another, confronting trauma, which obviously many of the indigenous tribes, of course, have to confront the trauma of their past. Um, so it's beautiful, but I, I was watching a speech by the author, Sherry Demoline. Like I said, I, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And you just have to hear this quote because I think it's so beautiful. She was talking about what it means to be successful. And she said, for me, the success comes from the right kind of preparation, which is done living life to the fullest, which is the ceremony and the ways in which we stitch our stories into the ground so that it's level and will provide steady footing and sing them into the sky so that there's more light to see for all those still on their way. Obviously, this is a tradition of, of her people. 
and respecting the stories that came before them and making sure that you're preparing the world for the people that come after and a real respect for ancestry and all of those things. But what I can take from that is one, great empathy for what her people have gone through, but two, just a real sense of the responsibility that we have as parents and family members Mm-hmm. to do the best that we can so that that ground is solid. And I think sometimes we forget, oh, our family was dysfunctional and this happened and that happened. Well, what are we doing with this generation to make sure that it's solid for the next and for all of the children that come after? And I just yeah. think that's such a beautiful thought that that that's sort of the thought that you're, you know, that you could feel that at that funeral, that there was some sort of passage happening. But to Mm -hmm. not take that lightly and to understand really the implications of that is so important. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. It is. um, It's an interesting thing. Time marches on, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) It's it's just live big lady, the great equalizer. And I think when you um, when you feel like things are pushing you too far. You got two options. I mean, you've got to figure out how can I make it better in the short term? And how can I look back to realize that it's probably not as bad as it once was? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely true. So you've got some, some little ones to attend to. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.